Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello and welcome to New Books in Photography. I'm the host, Lorena Turner. I'm a lecturer in the Communication Department at California State Polytechnic University in Pomona, California, and I'm also a working photographer. Recently, I spoke with Bird Williams about his new book, Proof, Photographs from Four Generations of a Texas Family, which has been published by the University of North Texas Press. It has a foreword by Roy Flukinger, who's the Senior Research Curator at the University of Texas, Austin, and an afterword by Ann Wilkes Tucker, who's the well-known curator who's uh, formerly of the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. Bird's family was historically situated in the unique position of being involved with photography for almost as long it's been, as it's been practiced commercially. His new book provides a look back at how being a photographer influenced some of the choices that the four generations, which are chronicled in the book, made in their lives, as well as how photography was, as it was practiced culturally, impacted them individually. In the late 1980s, Bird was hired by televangelists like Jimmy Swaggart and Jim and Tammy Faye Baker to photograph them as they practiced and preached. Today, he has a Dallas studio and he teaches photography at Collin County Community College. His work is in the collections of the Amon Carter Museum and the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston. Hello, and welcome to New Books in Photography. I'm Lorena Turner. Today, we're talking with Bird Williams, photographer, teacher, and many other things. Welcome to the podcast, Bird. Hello. Nice to be here. Do you prefer to be formally referred to as Bird Williams the Fourth? I, I kind of dropped the fourth uh, after my dad died, but uh, now the oh. books come back up and it's kind of hard to keep us all you know, sorted out. So I'm kind of back to using it. So. That's what I th- it feels like an integral part of, of the story that you're telling <laughs> yeah. in the book. So, right. <laughs> but I wasn't sure. So I thought to ask, so you have this really fantastic book that you're going to be, we're going to be talking about today called photographs from four generations of a Texas family. Yes. And maybe you could start by talking a little bit about the book itself. Well, I've been sorting through it for uh, about four years. The uh, UNT archive, uh, the Rare Books Library, acquired it about uh, three or four years ago. And so it's it's this huge mass of negatives, prints, letters, book collection, and all the cameras that the four birds used. So uh, I, I've had that collection since 1970 from my dad, and now I concentrated on just trying to sort through this um, uh, huge library of images. So that's what this came out of, is trying to uh, ascertain who did what and, and uh, put this together. So just to kind of give a, a uh, maybe take a step back and look at the project um, from a more generalized perspective, you're in a long line of uh, people within your family who are, who are practicing photographers in some capacity. Yes. Correct? Yes. Uh-huh. Um, and this goes, the, the first person, kind of the first generation that you concentrate on, or that I, I'm not exactly sure, you know, of the exact 
legacy and lineage of your family. So you're going to have to kind of fill me in on that a little bit. But that person would be have been your great grandfather. Yes. Uh-huh. Right. And he was, he, so the book kind of goes back to the late 1800s or 1880s, I think, with the start of his work. Yes. Right. And, and the family was, uh, goes back to the, the, the collection goes back to the Civil War with some letters and other photographs I, that I don't know who took, whether it was family members. So the collection itself goes from uh, 1860s to, uh, and then they started being photographers in the late 70s, early 80s of the 19th century. I see. I see. Okay. Interesting. So we're going to talk a bit more about the book in just a, a few moments. But if you could next talk, tell, uh, talk about yourself a little bit, where you came from, where you studied, um, your relationship with photography kind of over your career. Okay. Yeah. I just kind of woke up in a, and I was a photographer. But Dad had a working studio and a photo lab and uh, he had worked with his father and by the first grade I was already shooting the neighborhood and photographing uh, sort of like the the journal the neighborhood journalist you know and I kind of realized early on that 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 was the ticket into the history is to a race wasn't really won unless I photographed it or if so I like that part of it and from then on I just photographed every day until I got to junior high, and to keep me out of trouble, they took me down to the photo lab and studio, which had about 20 employees. It was a statewide operation, and I just worked there for, up until I was uh, 39. And uh, finally, I, I got an undergraduate at uh, Texas Christian University in Fort Worth and then went back later and got a graduate degree in art in, uh, at uh, Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd been a commercial photographer and a fine art. It's kind of hard. Before, in the early part of photography, there wasn't officially art photographers, like there's academic art photographers now, which I'm one of them. I, uh, everybody that shot did some personal work on the side. And, you know, after the fact, we've decided what's art and what isn't. And that was kind of where I came to this. We all photographed uh, for mercenary reasons. But also we photographed um, neighborhood documentary um, just for art, uh, aesthetic things, things like that. So all of us had a, a kind of a broad range of work. What is your work like now? I mean, what kind of work do you um, do now? Well, I, since I've been working on this project, I've kind of gone back to documentary. I spent a few years in Germany and I was uh, doing full uh, with a gallery and uh working through a museum and I was an art photographer doing a kind of a typologies project um, of uh, urban street corners at night and very large prints, you know, uh, very much in the vein of what was uh, going on in art at that time in Europe. And uh, since then I've sort of gone back to uh, just document documentary. I have an enormous amount of portraits I've shot since 1958 when I was seven and I, on Facebook contacted some of these people. So I'm just doing a project now. I've got grandfather's 11 by 14 camera and I'm reshooting these people from 1957, 1965, 1981. And I go back and I rephotograph them to show what uh, time has done to their face. Uh, and that, that's sort of where I'm ambling along now, trying to gather up, get access to people from this uh, large uh, body of portraits that I've done. Wow. That sounds fascinating. There's a vanity element involved, so uh, they think I'm going to glamorize them. But I, I, I say in my uh, thing that I don't flatter, 
Uh, it's more important to me just to do straightaway portraits. So I, after the first ones were revealed on Facebook, a lot of the people backed out. You know, I think 11 by 14 cameras kind of brutal. I was going to ask you actually how people, you know, perceived of your portrait of them at the current, the current era. I'm glad you it's answered back that. And forth. I'm, I'm a little selfish about it. I, I just, uh, I say, I, I don't care what they think. You know, we're all going to be dead soon enough anyway. This is for posterity and it's for, not for us. So I'm not going to show it anywhere particularly, but I'm putting it straight into the archive in the historic archives in various museums in this collection in uh, Denton. And I, but that doesn't help to tell them that. You <laughs> just I don't care what you think. Right. They, you know, I, I, I do have to do some um, uh, political maneuvering, and but I still don't shoot anything to flatter them. They're straightaway topographical maps of their face. You know. Interesting. Well, let's talk about your book, your current okay. book. That's your book um, is about is going to come out in a couple of weeks. We're talking in October and of 2016, and your book's coming out in November of 2016. Yes. And um, and I was just I was really fascinated by many things about your book. First of all, the the scope of time that's kind of incorporated in your book. Um, yes. And how that all of this information about your family and collected by your family moved through time and stayed intact is really fascinating. And then I got to, I guess it's your written introduction um, at, the, at the start of the book called Memento Mori. I guess. And, and I, the writing in that part of, of the book is so incredibly pointed and shocking and wonderful all at the same time. And well, if you, you. yeah, and you you wrote that, correct? Yes. Yeah. I, um, there, there's two other writers that are museum curators Ann Tucker and, uh, Roy Flukinger that wrote the forward and the afterward, but they both encouraged me, uh, to put down things that I say in my lectures and, uh, save those. So I kind of started being more of a writer. And another thing that kind of took place, it had always been about the pictures and this collection of time. And I'm sort of, I'm sorting out, uh, the things that each photographer did. But when I, I got a visiting scholar, uh, at, at, um, UNT. So they put me up in an apartment and I actually lived with the collection for a while and being with all these people that I did know and that they're now dead, it kind of brought me in contact with mortality. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think everybody's family has something like this, but I had all the private letters. I have all the private. So it was a really shock for me. Uh, and that's kind of what that intro that you mentioned, Memento Mori, remember we must die. Uh, because everybody in the room's dead, I'm hanging out in a, in a graveyard. And I sort of addressed that in there. Yeah. You, you say, if you, if you don't mind my reading just a couple of lines that I was really kind of bolted awake, um, as when I read this, you, you say for me, photography is about death. It didn't used to be, but I'm 64 and everybody in the room is dead. And I can't remember why I was so obsessed with saving their lives in two dimension, in two dimensional facsimile. Perhaps all those years I've been trying to nail down what Ian McEwen refers to as our brief spark of consciousness. It was never about the money. I could have done better mowing lawns. There was always an urgency about it. Save all the historic, all historical buildings. Remember all the faces. Stand on the street corners and save everyone's toilet. Share my experience with posterity. I was alive, goddammit. <laughs> That's where I am with my work, with my photography, is in that, you know, I'm alive and I want to possess it all. You know, and that's and and if I can't, it's frustrating. 
So I identified with that specifically and thought that that was like the most succinct way of describing that feeling that I'm sure a lot of photographers possess. Yeah. Lorena, don't you think that um, it is kind of a surrogate replacement for religion for us? Um, And it doesn't really matter what anybody thinks about the afterlife. For me in particular, this was this was it. And so I decided a long time ago that um, I had to nail down this existence. Maybe there's an afterlife. Maybe there isn't. So it became uh, the urgency of um, of a religion for me. Uh, I don't know if you have a similar feeling, but. Uh, this this appears to be my only chance to uh, record what it is to be alive in our time. And all of a sudden, as a kid, I realized it, it, that was such a gift, such a, a privilege to be able to uh, poach these faces and take these interiors and, and show them. And the reference on the toilet in there, I was laughing when you read it. I'd forgotten about that. But I all through the years, I photographed people's bathroom uh, because – uh, it's a private, not just bathroom, their private space. It's a sort of a portrait without their faces in it. And it shows, uh, you know, who they are with just the space that they live in. So I, I jokingly refer to it as the thousand toilet project, but I've been doing it for 40 years now. Yeah. That's really, that's really funny. I, I do feel that way. Um, I, I hadn't quite equated it to religion quite yet. But, but I but I can sense that that's around the corner. Yeah, I mean, I, I very much identify with what you say about you know the, the there's you know this space of in this place and time that I'm a part of right now, and it feels I feel obligated to um, participate in it in the way that it, it is about extracting from it. You know, extracting these this, exactly. these images from it. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. Yeah. And I end that with a uh, 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 thing by Sam Harris that says, there's only now. No, we don't know that, but it, it was a good philosophy for me to uh, be energized about the work. There is only now. There's not really a future. There's not really a past. Those are just thoughts that arrive in our mind. Right. And so we, we just got to deal with this present moment. Right, right. Let's talk about the book. It's get, you have, there's an organization to the book. So let's start with talking about that. So when, when, when one first reads the book, they come into the story of your family where? Um, let's see. They, they come in when my grandfather moves from Tennessee to Texas in 1879. And uh, he sets up a uh, hardware store in Gainesville, Texas, a place north of Fort Worth. And one of the products he sold was postcards. And so he had a, he had a Kodak postcard camera and him and his sons or when his sons came around, he, he began just photographing. It was, it was during most of these things kind of follow the history of photography in Texas. Uh, the album craze, he had that where everybody, instead of the family Bible on the coffee table, they had a photo album. Well, that came in right after the civil war. Then the postcard craze kind of spread across, uh, America and he followed that. And so he actually produced postcards to sell in his uh, general store, hardware, dry goods, they sold everything. And that's kind of what got us started. So that's kind of, that's where the story begins is a little town just north of Dallas, Fort Worth. And where does it go after that? Does it, you, do you go directly to the next generation? Well, uh, yes, he didn't, he shot quite a bit and there are these postcards and there's a section on that, but then his sons all became photographers and they all, all of them shot 
portraits for money. My grandfather went to University of Texas in Austin, and he worked his way through college doing portraits and any other photographic kind of stuff. So he was a, a semi-pro and mostly a student, and he became – he was an engineering student. So uh, I have all that work, and he soon got on a survey team, a little bit like the survey team that came out uh, west after the Civil War, and he went across the West photographing these landscapes, and then that's the next section is his landscape work. He kind of uh, uh, fancied himself a landscape photographer. And then I have a series of letters between him and his mother that talk about the beauty of the land and the appreciation of uh, formal qualities and how you and, – and there's even a page from his diary where he sketches out some compositional ideas and then it has the photographs that he he used on that. So I actually get to see the process, the working process that he used to work out his compositional ideas. That's a pretty a pretty precious artifact. It's more than an artifact, but I don't have exactly the right word. But to, to have that insight into his process and into his thinking at the time, that's it was remarkable. lucky. Find, it was lucky find in the archive because a lot of this I hadn't seen until the last two or three years, uh, oh. particularly some of the death. Uh, my mother, your families hide this stuff. There's some pretty bad tragedies and some awful things from murders, like I say in the book, from suicides and murders and everything you can think of. And I was seeing these stories in family letters for, because they would be candid in family letters, but they would not tell other people about it. Even consumption, which was uh, a, um, uh, tuberculosis, was was hidden. They hid that fact. Two or three of them had tuberculosis, and they, they just didn't want anybody to know. But it's in the letters. So in some ways, the letters informed the photographs in a way that I'd never seen before in the 50 years I've dealt with it. And, and one of the writers pointed out that it, it, one of the unusual things about the collection was that we had so much stuff. And part of the reason she uh, noticed was that the collection didn't get moved much. It was an old house in Gainesville, and then it got moved once to Fort Worth. So – Families that move and change and hand things down, these, these things, these private matters get discarded. They just got stored away and saved. And then I dug them up and uh, starting in 2014 and opened these letters for the first time to see all the problems that we have today, marital problems, uh, infidelities, uh, suicide. It, it's all there. And at first I, I was ashamed, too. I thought I shouldn't show this, but I, I hang out with historians. And they said, uh, uh, Kyle Wilkinson and Michael Phillips and these guys, they all say, no, you got to show it. There's a, le- a letter about slavery, slave, slave ownership. And so do I hide this stuff? It is so contemporary now with all the problems going on in our culture in this contentious election. There is one of the people that ran for uh, uh, the uh, ran for mayor in, in Myra, Texas, that was a KKK candidate. So do I hide this stuff? Absolutely not. I, I put it all in there, and we just have to deal with it. It, it. Letting all the wounds heal, letting it out into the open air, I think that's the only way to for our culture to go forward. Absolutely, and I think it also shows you know the problems that we consider so unique to our moment, you know, to this to our this is now moment, you know, are not that they're they're echoes of them in the past or we're echoes of them you know to the to the past's future you know we're absolutely right absolutely right there wasn't anything i found in here that isn't going on today you know right well i'm curious about the if you could share a little bit about the the letter about um the slave ownership i think yes yeah um i i'm looking for it now i could read a section of it but let me see if i can do it from memory it might take me a second sure. the the uh, it is a letter from 1915 that is uh 
quoting and including a letter from 1838. And she's talking about her grandmother. And this is my great grandmother, Alice Williams, uh, Mary Alice Williams. And in it, she's writing one of her cousins and said um, she's showing her. And it's one of the pictures in the book. She's showing her a little lace that was made originally by slaves and given to her, the, the one of our relatives daughters is a gift along with two female pregnant female slaves. That's in the letter. Wow. I know. So it, it was uh, it's beyond. And at the end, what makes it particularly sad, particularly odd is there's a little bit of Christian uh, apologetics saying hasn't Christianity come a long way. Wouldn't that be odd in 19 whatever year it was, 15? Uh, yeah, but it, 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 it reflects a lot. It's what's going on today and how these things have changed. And there was a there was a push not to put this in here by some of the people involved. But after I talked to the historians, after I decided, I think I think it all should be in there. It's from 1838. I don't like the idea of people say, well, it's just the way it was. No, we actually have to deal with this, don't we? We have to get it out there and look at it and say, this was wrong. This was uh, this culture that um, you need to talk about this uh, adversity to immigrants that, that's going around today. We were Im- those people were immigrants. There was Native Americans that actually lived here. Yeah, you know, so uh, you start seeing all these things uh, that are shocking, that um, uh, hypocritical things like that. <laughs> I, I've not been able to find the letter, but it's, it's here. Well, I'm sure that uh, whoever's listening will, when they get your book, they'll go, they'll go and look for that because it's such a, an interesting part of this, this yes. story overall. Uh-huh. So th- then there's a, there's a section on the Great Depression. Tell me about that, the Great Depression. At that section. time, Dad was a journalism student. They didn't have photo programs anywhere in America at that time. That didn't come until after World War II and really didn't come until 1960s and 70s. But he was a journalism student, which went along with it, that you photographed with your stories. So he was an aspiring writer, photographer, what they would have called a photojournalist. And he covered during his college years uh, the central business district. So it, it shows this. whole, and, it, and it's like all of the, all of us. We sort of were of the style of our time. There's things that are like Timothy O'Sullivan by my grandfather and things like Cartier-Bresson by dad. And so it's a very stylized compositional uh, type of 35 millimeter. You know, he took the camera off the tripod and used a Leica and went around the city photographing things of the depression. So uh, it's, it's actually been the most shown part of the um, project through the years. I had these negatives since 1970 and uh, there was nothing photographed much in, I guess most major cities been in Fort Worth in the depression. So that made them sort of rare. And, and I always got calls to show this depression era stuff. Did he ever talk about that? Like who, who his kind of colleagues were? I, colleagues is a loose term, of course. But yeah. in in um, in photography, did he talk with other his contemporaries about about photography and about storytelling and journalism? Was that something that he shared with yes. you? Yes, and he published some things, and he had some things that some manuscripts that he was working on, and that's all in the collection. And uh, he, uh, in the middle of it all, uh, ran away from home to Ann Arbor and went to work for Argus Camera Company. And that, so all that's recorded. But he'd married somebody prior to my mother. And so, uh, and this is another thing family's real secretive about, uh, uh, that, that he had a 
previous wife, no children, but he never hardly talked about that. He was kind of secretive about it. So I have the pictures, but I don't know much about it. I'm, I'm researching all these things now. But yes, he had a wonderful book collection, and he was very savvy as to the famous photographers of the time, everything from uh, Cortez to Brisson to everybody, Stieglitz. And, and there's a section on this on his uh, comments, his historical comments in the 1930s and 40s about these um, photographers that he was uh, – uh, kind of influenced by. Okay. And as far as uh, he, he kind of he moved into a boat on the Great Lakes that he bought half finished and he finished it. And so then when the war broke out, World War II, uh, the government came in and changed his camera company, Argus, to making gun sights. So he was uh, had a deferment for the remainder of the war and he polished gun sites for um, the war effort. And as soon as that was over, he came back to Texas and started photo businesses and, and kind of dropped the journalism part and became a full-time photographer. Was there an economic necessity to that? At the time? Uh, probably. Um, he got divorced and in, in, the, in the book, and I have some quotes, it's, it's quite interesting. His diary from that period I have, and it's in the collection and it's torn in half and, and he's just upset, and it begins upon his breakup with this, uh, this his other wife. And, uh, yeah, he ran away from that, too, and he came back. He was a bit of an adventurer and a writer, and uh, he came back to Texas and soon after married my mother and had us, uh, my twin and I, my twin sister and I. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, it was it – was yeah, it was a panic. Uh, the depression, it was coming out of the war. He had to find work. The depression was over. So there was uh, opportunities to start a neighborhood photography business. Wow. So so let's talk about the, his studio. What part of Texas was his studio in? It was in Fort Worth, uh, and he had one in various neighborhoods. He had three or four, some of them running at the same time, and it was glamour portraits, family portraits, wedding. I mean, in those days, just as now – I tell my students, you're going to have to be a jack of all trades. you got to do a little bit to everything to open your doors. Uh, there was a period when you made the best money specializing in architecture. or I, I became an architectural photographer, but that was much later. He did a little of everything. And when he um, – finally, he was such a good printer and such a good technician. Other photographers would ask him to print their work, their weddings, their architecture. And so – the business slowly morphed into a photo finishing business, what we called then, where you developed film. And then it spread across the state where he was bought and was a Kodak franchise and bought large amounts of equipment to print for drugstores. And everything. And that, that's kind of when I came into it. I, I was there for the studio, but I was a little kid. But by the time I was up and working, it was in a, uh, uh, a large automated uh, photo lab. I, I love this. You said this in the, in the beginning, but I'm just going to reiterate it now because it really seems much clearer to me, like how your family really does track, you know, the history of photography and its, its technological advancements and developments. Um, it's, it's really pretty fascinating. So you, you put in the book, there are a number of studio portraits. So from those early days, these are from like the early 1950s, yeah. um, you, have, you have some really interesting interesting portraits, some kind of glamour shots, as you say, with very dramatic lighting, they're yes. black and white. And then you have, there's a page that has these dollar a shot dance, dance school photos. Yes. <laughs> is this a particular, 
I don't, how do you just, it's not a style of photography, but like a particular gimmick to sell images, I guess. What do you, I don't know. About this. Dad would be, this is funny because dad would be mortified if I showed those dollar a shot, you know, like, like I said a little while ago, he, he did a little of everything. So the black and white of the dancers, he, his artwork was ballet. So the ballet would come through town or the ballet company. And mm. that was what he would enter. They didn't have galleries then; they had salons. So he would enter all that and win awards and do that. But on the side, they shot a volume. It would be the equivalent today of a photographer shooting a soccer team or something. So he didn't spend a lot. He would go out to the, they weren't glamorous. He just shot a bunch and that was not his main work that he would be proud of. Uh, funny thing, there's a thing called uh, reception theory that um, it, it started with literature and it, and it said that the writer doesn't invent the meaning, the reader invents the meaning. So these these little dance school photographs in color, uh, they have a charm and a vernacular quality that the sort of pretentious artwork doesn't have. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't have got that because they weren't art then. They were just stuff that he would not have shown. And there was some question by some curators whether I should show it, and and Ann Tucker addresses that in her essay in here. Uh, I don't know. Everything changed. We view them differently. In my opinion, some of those mid- to low-level commercial work is the most charming, the most real, and the most about our culture. Uh, There's a lot of – photography has a quality like that, that it's almost as if – Individuals aren't taking the pictures, but the culture itself, this big squirming organism is making the pictures. The photographer is just a, uh, a part of it. And that's kind of what happened with all our work. There's a segment of everybody's work is just totally the culture making the photographs. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I can completely identify and understand what it you know how how you're describing that and what that means. Absolutely, there's a there as if there there are um, photographic forms that are you know whether they're vernacular or they're more formalized, and um, it's what in in some ways it's what the people are asking for. They're asking for that product, and so you know so sometimes the photographer is there just to kind of fulfill that perspective. Exactly, exactly. and and. Um... Even the neighborhood snapshots that are absolutely done without pretense, without intention of ever showing anybody again, mm-hmm. yeah. they have a kind of an honesty. I mean, this has kind of come to us since the digital age that we realized the last vestige of honesty in photography was the lowly snapshot. I mean, you know, on Christmas, you would not go get the neighbor's kids and photograph them in front of your tree because your kids were too ugly. <laughs> you <Right>. know? <laughs> So so snapshots by nature, even digital snapshots by nature, even though digital can be changed uh, totally, by nature, they're kind of honest. You're recording your family at your time. And so historically, these snapshots and these vernacular commercial work have a kind of a sweet realism that that, and I'm not against artwork. I've been involved in the art art world and the academic. It's the academic art world now, but uh, for a long time. But that's a fiction. That's that's each artist has their own fiction. Nothing wrong with that. But the the others are completely different thing. Is there's, there's a sort of a charming honesty that goes along with those. And I, I agree. And I think too that that a very important part of that equation is is audience. The the audience for those types of you know vernacular snapshot images was very localized. It was very you know it was it was centered around the person who took the picture, the person who's in the picture, not intended you know, there's no performance quality at all. Whereas yes. the same type of images that are taken now in the digital context 
there absolutely is a performance element to them. You know, it shifts exactly. the meaning significantly. You hit it exactly. And uh, the, the, usually you divide those up and you show one segment in one book and one segment in another. But I chose to sort of mix it up because all four of us did a little of everything. We did amateur snapshots. We did work that was intended as art. We did work for clients. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the story wouldn't be complete without uh, this kind of dizzying mix of stuff. You know, uh, Hopefully I can flesh out each page you come to, each segment, like the dancers or the landscapes or the uh, all the things you pointed out, they represent the tip of the iceberg for 10,000 more you know, pictures. So right. each one of the segments could be a separate book. Well, I'll, I'll ask you about your future <laughs> hopes yeah. and dreams for your family archive yes. in a little while. But um, <laughs> let's, let's go on there and talk about the people section. I, there, are two, there, there are more sections than we're, we're actually going to be able to talk about, I think, um, in our interview. But the people section of the book is what what's so fascinating to me about that is not the images are fascinating but i love that you started that chapter or section of the book with this title page from your father's photo albums that's handwritten on a black paper in a with a white probably wax pencil right pictures of people and thing i things i have known and seen since i was 16 yeah. Isn't that great? I love that. Tweet that way, yeah. And that was his. In in their portfolios would be these little. They they all like these black albums, and they wrote with white pencils. So every generation has several of them, and that was his from when he was a kid. I I, I like that. It's so in a way. It, it you know it's it embodies it embodies. I hope I can articulate this correctly. These two aspects of photography that are really fascinating, which is the, the there's a self possession that many photographers have, you know, about what their role is in relation to their world and what they're photographing. Right, like this is I'm important, and here's here's my record of what's around me and how I'm yeah. you know, and and then it also has that someone who's in their fifties or sixties or seventies looking back at themselves when they're 16, you know, that kind of looking, looking to the past and seeing the perspective of their, their 16 year old mind. I yes, exactly. Those uh, two things on that page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah, That's really wonderful. So that's a, a section that has a lot of, of kind of environmental portraits that were, that were, that are just fantastic because they show not just, the individuals, but they're placed in these locations um, and these settings that are, you know, probably don't exist in any way close to how they are in the, in yeah, the photographs ex- any longer. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. They, they, um, he said that was the hardest segment because there's so much of it and it, it, it goes back and forth because some of this was magazine work that I did of mine and then oh. some of dad's was too. And then, uh, I, I always got called for doing uh, subcultures and stuff for magazines, uh, local magazines and stuff. And because I, I, I'm a talker and I can get my way in places, but um, uh, I mixed it with vernacular. And he said it was a it, this was the hardest segment to do because uh, it was such a different uh, grouping. It was just so much. And do I do just the commercial portraits or just so? That's what it ended up to be is just a little mix of everything. I, I see that. There is a it's not it's a section of the book that isn't necessarily tracking chronologically that you're kind of moving through um, different time periods and different um, photographers and and looking at their work, including yours. 
mm-hmm. in that yeah. section. That's yes. really wonderful. Um, all right. I want to get right to the section that I was complete. There's, there's a section called non-people, which, which I think we're, we're, even though I'd love to talk about it, we're going to skip over it just for okay. the, uh, the sake of time. But then at the very end of the book, there's, oh, it may not be at the very end. Oh no. It's the, it's the violence section. Yeah. Is that uh, the final I, section or the in section? Yeah, I think it's the final. No, there's one there's night. one before that. Right, exactly, I, night. Right. It. I, I should have switched those, probably done that last, yeah. but that's all right. They, they, yeah, violence, imprinting, and religion. So I was fascinated by the choices that you made to include in this and, and how there's, it almost, in this section, and there almost seems to be a, a narrative to this. Like there's, you start off in one place and you kind of take us on this journey to a very different place. So can you talk about what you are, what your thoughts were when you were putting this section together? Yes, I've been working on this for a long time, for 20 or 30 years, about the odd uh, uh, proclivity to violence. I don't know if it's just Texas or the South, but it's this gun culture here. Now, my family was a gun family. We, we, we came here in the 19th century, and my dad, I, when he died, I inherited 38 handguns. I mean, wow. it, it's absurd. I, and I got rid of them all, and I was came from a hunting gun family and did a full – circle, full 180. Uh, and part of it was looking at this. I noticed that all the kids, all the boys growing up from the 19th century on played guns. And they, we had these kind of made up scenarios of violence as if uh, guns were a solution to things. And it, it, I started on this long before any of the trouble we had here lately. And But I started noticing that. And then during this time, while I was working on this project, I was doing a project of people who had been, I think it was for a magazine, who had been shot and lived. They actually went through the experience, waited for the ambulance. And then they actually, the stories were better than the photographs. They uh, talked about those moments laying on the ground uh, in shock, you know, waiting for the ambulance or waiting for the next thing. And they had a bullet hole in them. And I photograph, and some of those are in here. But while I was working on that, I got a job photographing for the TV evangelist Jimmy Swaggart and Oral Roberts and Jim and Tammy Faye. Do you remember them? Sure, in the 1980s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I was in my 30s, and I went traveling with them for a couple of years, flying on their jets, and. Um, wow. It was an eye opener because we'd never been a, we were a secular family. It was all about capitalism. You know, we I never went to church till I was in my thirties, you know, so I never walked in one. So they, um, it, it, to, to see these people, they were healing, they were doing all these things and, um, to experience it. And then to look back on it while I was making these pictures, it was just an odd Southern mix of violence, religion, all of these things. Now, it is. It, I don't want you to think I'm being condescending. I'm trying just to be honest about the culture I grew up in. Sure. And I look at it completely different now. I'm, it's on the other side of it. Um, memes change and cultures evolve. And um, there's still a lot of this here. And I, that's kind of why I wanted to photograph it. I, I photographed uh, – even in the death section, which is sort of – I started to mix those. There's some things about people that died. Uh, it has to do with uh, the gun culture and, and dad for years did crime scene for the Fort Worth police. I did crime scene. Wow. So I saw a lot of murders and stuff. And um, I, it, it doesn't bother me. It, it is like uh, you get a sort of – the camera 
kind of get uh, keeps you away from it. It's like the door to it. You can be in the room with this stuff, but the camera, you're on the other side, and then you're working. I remember one of my first memories working at the photo lab in the seventh grade. I was 13. I went down there, and on Monday morning, every Monday morning, I'd be sweeping. Every morning morning on the film pro- or the paper processor, there'd be 500-foot rolls of murder pictures coming off, and there'd be all these red pictures. And even as a seventh grader, it was shocking and horrifying at first, but there is a, um, uh, a fascination with uh, the abomination. So you could not not look at them. I mean, you had to look at them. It's, it's a hard thing to explain. Mm-hmm. So that mixed with my experience with the evangelist and my experience of looking through uh, childhood imprinting, that's the book I want to do next. <laughs> <laughs> oh, absolutely. It feels like, I mean, this section in and of itself feels like there's a lot more, like a lot more you could, a lot further you could go with it. And it, and it does, it does cut through the other generations. My dad and grandfather, not so much my great grandfather. He was a kind of a, uh, a devotional kind of a guy that was involved with the church. And he had, my granddad was a wanderer. He moved to El Paso and where he had my father and that was during the time when Pancho Villa was making raids over the border. We loved him for a time, but then when he started crossing the American border in New Mexico and Arizona, uh, uh, General Pershing was sent down by Woodrow Wilson, and my dad and granddad witnessed all this. They came across the border. My granddad was working on a survey project and met Pancho, photographed all down, all his men doing that. But then suddenly he became a bad guy, and they ran him off. But there's letters. There's some hilarious letters in there about my grandmother saying, "Stay away from them. You're gambling and getting drunk, and you move. You you losing money." And I, I know what he was interested in. I I really like photographing in places I shouldn't be. And Dad had that same thing. We both went to places that were. It, it's sort of like being a war photographer. Now I wouldn't claim to have that sort of bravery. This was just kind of seedy, odd. Uh, uh, subcultures that we went to. Granddad was photographing Pancho and his men down by the Red River. Pancho was staying in a um, uh, uh, an, an abandoned railroad car, and he'd photograph and drink tequila down there with the men. And my dad did similar things at the brothels and the places in Hell's Half Acre in Fort Worth. And I just carried it on, not on purpose. I found a lot of this work afterwards, but reading their letters and seeing it, we all shared a kind of an interest in this uh, – other side of culture. Uh, the writer Baudelaire uh, in France wrote about this, that it's, it is the obligation of artists in your living time is to show things about living in the city. And I always use that as a, as a guide. I, I don't think I got that quote exactly right, but I use it in the book somewhere. I think what you're describing is like th- that you, you notice that there's a consistency in the, the people in your family to want to kind of transcend their own lives by going to these places where there's, uh, where there, where the role of who they are in their own lives in relation to their family and you in relation to your family, it falls yes. away, you know, so you become this kind of this other person in front of, in front of these other experiences, um, which is a very liberating frame of mind to work from and I feel like to strive for too. Yeah, Lorena is, you're exactly right. It's better than going to the movies. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, we used to go, I always would go see and sit through murder trials. You know, the famous like Colin Davis and all the, all these famous ones from down here. Y'all may not have 
heard of them up there, but I, th I thought it was fascinating. It was way better entertainment than going to see a movie about it to go to the actual trial and listen to it all, you know? Right. right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, you, you also mentioned in there that you, about your being called by evangelists to, to photograph for them. What were they looking for from you as a photographer? Well, I, I was a professional, and um, I was originally hired to train their photographers. They weren't getting the result. We had a photo lab, and we were developing for them, and then I was doing a little product, their pamphlets and their uh, religious pamphlets and, and propaganda. That's not a good way to put it, but, you know, mm -hmm. their, their, their uh, point of purchase stuff. And I was photographing it for their catalogs, and they said, would you come on one trip and train our photographers? And I did, and my pictures came out good, and so they – said, keep on traveling with us. So I just became their full-time photographer. And they'd fly me into these various uh, places. Uh, and that's kind of how that got started. The p photographs I made for them were in color, and I was to make them very de devotional. Uh, the TV lights I made looked like a light from heaven, you know, and mm -hmm. they were healing, and they were doing and all these things. It was a mixture of Pentecostal and all, all kinds of different of these southern uh, religious um, groups, and they, I, I did that for them. I asked permission. I said, can I shoot a documentary on the side with my, in black and white? And they said, yes, of course. And um, I had a Leica with uh, black and white film in it, and then every now and then I'd take a, a shot, and that's what it did up in the book. And we, they were fine with it. I showed them the pictures. Uh, they, 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 looked, uh, they were things I'd never seen before, laying hands mm -hmm. and uh, pulling tumors and things like that, wow. but I didn't have trouble with them till toward the end. I had an exhibition, and it was a hundred years of portraits or a hundred years of photographs, and it was my dad and granddad. And same thing we're talking about here. And the the people, the gallery that hung them had several rooms, and they hung politicians in one room, and they put rich people in another room. But then in one room they put used car salesmen in, 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 in homeless. Oh. Evangelist. So it looked like I was making this statement, and they were right. furious about that, and, that, and then, then our relationship. But about then, they were all getting in trouble for various uh, indiscretions. You remember when all that, or sure, maybe you don't sure. for your time. But, well, with, with uh, uh, um, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, kind of, that was, they, they were all making too much money. You had like a front row seat to the golden era of the televangelist, you know, the, 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 uh, yeah. the height of that and, and its influence and impact on our culture and, and how it impacted politics at that time, which doesn't, yeah, I don't I, see I, evidence of that in your, in your images necessarily, but certainly it's a subtext was flying on the plane with them. They, they would fly me to these various locations. They were from Atlanta to Seattle. That's amazing. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. I wanted to ask you, you've, you've mentioned a couple of things that you are kind of working on. Um, if, is there, are there other, is there another project that you're working on currently? Yes, I'm, I'm now just fitting, trying to do this portrait of then and now people that I photographed as early as 1957 when I started to photographing them now and, and doing that comparison. But my ultimate goal, uh, that uh, the, the publisher who did this book has said there could possibly be another book. And I want out my work, and I'd really actually like to finally organize and finish the that that chapter that we discuss: violence, uh, religion, and imprinting. And I, I have it going back to uh, 1880, 
and to now. And so it, it would inc- it include a little bit of the old work to give it some context. Mm-hmm. But that's really my still my interest is um, uh, photographing this about cultural violence in the South. Mm. I pitched it to, to several people, and so uh, I, I, there's some interest, but there's so much going on in the news, and there's so much uh, going on with Black Lives Matters and all these different things that it's a rather a touchy issue right now. But I think it's a good time for it to, to bring this out and to show uh, what kind of country we are, what, what we are, particularly in the South. I don't know much about the Northeast or the Northwest. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you know. I feel like it's maybe just a matter of time before you 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 find somebody who has who shares that perspective because it's not such a far out perspective. Right. You know, that yes. this is the perfect time. You know, it, it does. It you know, I'm coming from a similar orientation to you, though a different cultural orientation, and I can certainly see how this would be. Wow, this would be an amazing conversation to, to you know to to start or to add to the overall conversation that's happening within the culture. Show it all. Yeah, the yeah. background where we yeah. came from. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one final question is just to ask you where people can find your books, photographs from four generations of a Texas family once it once it's released in November. Well, I see that it's in the Texas A&M University Press uh, or the Texas Book Consortium. But I I think they're going to do a full thing on it. It'll be on Amazon and uh, I guess all over. Find bookstores near you. They that's the last I heard, so I think that uh, you'll be able to get it online. Where this interview is posted, we will have uh, links to two links that will allow people to click through and and find um, get access to buying the book. So. Okay, great. Great. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really fantastic uh, hour or so of talking, and um, yeah, I, enjoy. I, I look forward to seeing your your future projects. Okay, yes, thank you for uh, having the interest in my work. <laughs>